You've probably heard it all before, but this time, let Dr. Lanker connect the dots in a way that makes the Christian faith come alive. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Lanker, and I'm here to help you connect the dots. As a pastor and professor for the last 30 years, I want to help you not only understand the Christian faith, but to make it a transformative part of your everyday experience. Join me as we connect the dots. I don't know if you've ever asked the question, does God have a beginning? But that's what we're going to talk about today. In fact, when we mentioned that we're going to look at how God reveals himself from Genesis to Revelation, we're going to start in the beginning when God creates the heavens and the earth. What's interesting in this telling of the God story that we find inside the Holy Scriptures to the Jews and to the Christians is that in the beginning, God creates. In every other ancient world story of that time, the gods had beginnings. They were birthed by something that gave birth to them, and then they take power and control. In the Hebrew telling of the story of God and the transmission of his revelation of himself, it clearly states that God is present in the beginning, that in fact, he is the source of the beginning. He is the source of life itself. That may not be incredibly telling to many of us, but for those who heard this from the very beginning, it would have been just radical that there was a God who set everything in order. What's interesting, though, is that this God who sets everything in order is a plural God. How do we know this? Because in Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, Elohim. Now, in Hebrew, you have the word El or Eloah that are the singular terms for God. But the plural term for God is Elohim, and that's what's used here in Genesis 1. Why? Why would God choose to reveal himself as a plural God? Well, the Jews have struggled with this from the beginning of their story because they talk about God as monotheist. There is only one God. And so they talk about how this term Elohim is simply a royal we, like the queen would say, we are going to do this. She's actually talking about herself, but as representative of the whole British royal family, she uses a plural to reference a singular. And as she would talk about that, she would use singular verbs to reference the we. And that's the same thing that happens in Hebrew is that there's the word Elohim, but it's followed by singular verbs afterward. This is interesting to say the least, because we as Christians worship one God, but we also worship one God in three persons. So many Christians throughout history have looked at Genesis 1-1 and said, look it, from the very first verse, God is showing us that he's a triune God. That is people way along in this story looking back at the very beginning and saying, this is what was meant. But it has to make sense to the original hearers, otherwise it's meaningless. So why would the term Elohim be used by Moses to write down this information? Well, first we have to understand why and how Moses is writing down this information. Our best view 
as scholars is that everything in Genesis specifically is part of an oral story that's been told around campfires for centuries. So when Moses writes this story down, it's not that he just received it from God and said, here, let me put this pen to paper and tell this story of who God is. He's just simply encoding what has been told and known for a long time. And in that story, Elohim has made the world. That's interesting. Why would these people sitting around fires use a plural to talk about God making the world instead of a singular? If you don't know the ancient world, then it's confusing. If you do, it should make perfect sense to you. In every ancient culture that we look at, they are polytheist, and that the center point of their polytheism is that they, the gods, live in a god council. And these gods have a leader. For the Greeks, it was Zeus. For the Egyptians, it was Ra or Horus. For the Canaanites, it was Baal. In these god councils, The term for that God council was Elohim, the plural of all the gods working as one, and so therefore they are singular. So the statement in Genesis 1-1 would make absolutely perfect sense. It would be the absolutely perfect term to use for how every ancient people viewed how the world was created. The God council made the heavens in the earth. Now, as Christians, we're like, there is no other God before me. If they th- understand it to be a God council in this plurality, why wouldn't Moses write it as L? Why wouldn't he correct that and change that? And he actually could. It, it will get back to this, but God does not reveal himself as Yahweh until the burning bush. Yet, Moses, when he writes down the story, inserts the name of Yahweh all the way back into the stories in Genesis. The first time is is in Genesis 2-4. So he has no problem changing the revelation of God and making it more correct in that process. But he doesn't change the term Elohim. This is what I think is incredibly insightful. By using the term Elohim, what it conveys is that there is both the unity of the one God, and it also allows for the plurality of persons that could be found in it. In saying that, if you know anything about Christian theology, you immediately jump to the Trinity, which it could be. At the same time, it may not. Throughout the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, the word Elohim is not only used in places that it's translated as God, it's also used for the angels. And so it may be that the angels represent or take place inside this God council, even though they are not God, the high God. They are part of this spiritual structure of creation that oversees the foundation of the world and the creation of man. We're going to have to dig into that and explore it a little bit more. And I think that that is exactly why God allows for this term Elohim to be used. He wants us to explore it. The same thing happens within the New Testament. 
just to give us a, a starting point that makes us feel a little bit more comfortable. Jesus talks about the work of the Spirit. He talks about lead, being led by the Father. Uh, he says that He is God. But if you go through the New Testament teachings in the Gospels, there is no teaching where Jesus explicitly puts together the concept and the theology of the Trinity. It's something that the church takes Jesus' teachings afterwards and puts all the pieces together and goes, wow, I think what Jesus was teaching was that God is one, but in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And I think that's exactly what God is doing in Genesis 1-1, is He's taking an understanding that's familiar to people in their time and place and saying, hey, Elohim, I'll actually let you use that term about me because it gets at who I really am. I am a plural singular. I work as a God counsel. I guide all of creation and everything in human affairs. How? In what way? Who's at work? When? And God wants us to be asking those questions, which is hugely insightful to who God reveals himself to be. He is a God who realizes that by definition, we will never grasp him. So he gives us ways to engage him and ask better questions of who he is and how he works. It also sets us up to be philosophically true to this process of trying to understand the infinite. And finally, it does open up the door for us to be able to understand and connect with this larger teaching from a Christian standpoint of the Trinity. He is the beginning of all life and all thought and all history. And so I hope that you engage from the beginning of this podcast with that bigger story and that bigger picture. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast. And if you'd like more information, please visit us at drjasonlanker.com. That's D-R-Jason-L-A-N-K-E-R. May you go in the grace of God and may you not just understand the Christian faith, but live it more fully this week.